All right, everybody. Welcome to episode three of Meet the Missionaries, a podcast of Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in beautiful Durwood, Maryland, where we seek to glorify God and to share with you some ways in which he's working around the globe and right here at home. And today I'm excited to have as my co-host, Miss Juanita Ross. So say hi to everybody, Juanita. Hello. All right. And joining us in the studio today via Zoom, we have Kristen Lolly, who's a church planner in Walthamstow, East London. Uh, she is part of a three-person team seeking to grow a community of believers who follow Christ uh, in loving and countercultural ways. And they also seek to serve their neighbors in a variety of different manners, including arts and gardening, food redistribution, and music, many of which are close to my own heart as well. So welcome, Kristen. Thank you. It's great to be here. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. And you and I have had the chance to meet on, on several occasions, but I know that not everybody who's going to be listening to this knows you. So one of one of my favorite things to do when I talk to other believers is to hear a little bit about their faith journey, how they came to know Jesus. And so uh, I was hoping you would tell us your story. Sure. Yeah. So I grew up um, not too far from you guys up in Frederick, Maryland, and grew up in a home that... Um, love Jesus and love the church. And so I don't have many memories. Um, actually, I don't think I have any memories where I wasn't, um, you know, in church or didn't have a knowledge of God. Um, so for me, kind of my journey of faith has been less about, you know, having radical moments of discovering God or who he is, but more, uh, kind of radical transformation as I, um, see God growing in me whether it's unlearning unhelpful ways that I used to relate to God or um, finding joy as I um, discover him meeting in new ways as I step out in faith um, in different areas around the world. Yeah, well, that's, that's great. And so, you know, it's a, it's a ways from that to then deciding you're going to go into what I would call vocational ministry, you know, especially in, in a place that isn't your historic home. So how did, how did that journey begin? Um, so I grew up and the church I attended was a church plant. And um, there was a couple that had come to join our church to help out. And they had been kind of career church planters and didn't really feel called to retirement. So um, kind of well past retirement age, they came to our church and it was at a difficult time for my family. And they stepped in and provided a lot of love and support to me. and. I came to associate them and their careers with the same kind of emotions of love and belonging that I felt whenever I was with them. Um, so I decided, you know, as a young, naive, like seven-year-old that like, when I grew up, I wanted to be like the veils and I want to plant churches and work for churches. Um, and so I kind of, from a young age, felt that call, but for me, you know, being a, a seven-year-old and having no idea of what that meant kind of built an identity for myself out of that um, in really unhelpful ways going into um, kind of high school and college. So I studied community development with dreams of going um, to the developing world and helping um, reduce poverty through economic means and discovered that wasn't my gifting and got really discouraged and kind of gave up on that as a career um, and then just um, kind of assisted my church in youth work and grew to love that more than my job. 
Um, and through some other job experiences, I've spent a short term uh, with FEMA Corps, kind of traveling the mid-Atlantic, helping with disaster recovery. And that made me consider more of, um, you know, pursuing a job outside of my like home culture or home country. So I contacted some different charities and found one that um, I knew I would be supported by. So I spent a few years in Ireland as a youth worker um, in a really lovely uh, church plant and grew to love the church planting work so much that I felt called kind of out of youth work. And so, um, yeah, through through contacts I had in Ireland was connected to my current team um, here in East London. Yeah, that's amazing. I think you win so far the award for decided to do this the youngest. I mean, certainly it was not a straight line, it sounds like, and there was a lot of learning and unlearning. It sounds one of the things you've said several times is talking about the unhelpful things, you know, that uh, you had to kind of work through, which I think is 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 fantastic. Uh, and so right now, I mean, I, in the intro, I gave a little bit of an idea of what you were what you were doing. But what is what is really the primary focus of your current work there? Um, so our current goal as you know, a team and as a church is to grow a community of believers who, um, who love Jesus with heart, mind, and soul and um, want to share others, um, share that love with others. Um, so we do that through you know, evangelism, discipleship, um, through volunteering in our community. Um, so we kind of have this, you know, the end goal is the church and the church's growth. Um, maybe not necessarily church's growth, but at least the growth of, um, the people that we love and serve, um, and taking any route that God kind of leads us in. There's never one way that someone grows in faith and love for Jesus. So, um, in some ways it's an adventure of walking beside people as God leads them in very, indirect ways. It's wonderful seeing you, Kristen. Um, what, what does a typical day look like for you and the missionaries who work alongside you? Uh, yeah, so we actually, I don't know that we have a typical day or even necessarily a typical week. Um, and it's one of the things I love about my job is having variety. Um, so some of the most regular and routine things we do, um, one is our church service every Sunday. Um, and that's very small and intimate. We do, you know, the bread and wine. Um, we share a scripture together. We pray. And then we always have a meal, um, a shared meal as part of our gathering. And then once a week, we're always in the community um, volunteering in different ways. Um, so we're really invested in a community center that's nearby and kind of in the middle of a council estate, um, which for non-English people, that's essentially like public housing. And um, it's the kind of area of town that's not well economically resourced. Um, and so at the community center, we're doing a number of initiatives um, to care for our neighbors. And so one of them is a community garden where um, Kind of local residents can come, whether it's just to have green space and quiet or to have a say in what kind of fresh produce they like to have available for free. Or we have people that come in and just want some compost soil. So 
um, we do that. We um, provide the green space. We provide, you know, the vegetables and produce to harvest. And then all of the fresh food that we grow is then donated to a group that I'm also a part of at the center where we redistribute food, um, both from the garden, both from local donations and from the supermarkets who will give away their food that's um, kind of about to expire. Um, and so I, I love that. I think that's one of my favorite part of my work is giving me the opportunity to, to meet a lot of uh, residents I think my first friends in the community came from, um, from that group. Um, so we do that, um, at least once a week, um, gardening, gardening is twice a week and then food rescues every other week. Um, and then some of the other things and my, yeah, my schedule are very kind of unpredictable and mostly revolve around meeting with people. Um, so I like to spend lots of time in the community and building friendships. And so that can look like spending hours at a cafe, talking to a friend or talking to the shop owner, um, meeting up with people for encouragement, um, dropping off food to people who are isolating because of COVID. Um, so it's, yeah, a big variety of that. Um, and kind of the other, the other crux of my job is, kind of helping to encourage and support the other churches. Um, so we're in a kind of a network of other church plants, whether it's church plants or replants of churches around London that um, kind of have a similar division to us. And so we meet monthly um, just to talk through different issues that would be relevant to our ministries, to encourage each other. We provide um, pulpit support for each other as well. So um, that's kind of the third part is strengthening and building relationships with other churches. Okay. And one of the things that we hear, you know, a lot from, from different folks is, is really twofold. One, how God has taken the gifts that he gave them and then used those, you know, to kind of grow his church and to glorify him on the field. And then the other thing is how often he will take them completely out of their comfort zone <laughs> To, you know, to increase their faith and, and do things like that. So, you know, you know, you mentioned a lot of things that you're doing. How many of those were things that, you know, I was already an artist and a musician. And so it was natural me, natural for me to do this, or, you know, gee, I had a no green thumb and I had to learn how to be a gardener. Like, what was your experience with those things? Was this all stuff you were already into or was this new stuff? I would say it would be about split 50, 50. Okay. Um, so one of the joys for me has been, um, this is the first time since, you know, I've graduated university that I've been able to use my degree in community development. Um, and so I, I feel mostly equipped, although I'm, I've had to read, do a lot of readings because some of my knowledge is either outdated or doesn't apply to kind of a East London context. Um, but that's very familiar and really enjoyable. Um, I think some of the most out of my comfort zone aspects are definitely the community garden, um, but music as well. So I only picked up ukulele about two years ago. And just as a hobby, um, I had just been approved to the team, but needed the support raise before I could uh, go to the field. So I thought like, well, it'd be helpful to, to learn a musical instrument so we could have music at church. And um, suddenly now I'm here and I'm leading worship every week. And yeah, I struggled a lot with some insecurities and some imposter syndrome, 
Um, and that was, that's been a wonderful place to grow in faith. Um, and I eventually got a ukulele instructor. So that's another great place to build more friendships. Um, and I'm hoping and praying to, to even dive more into some of the music community and Walthamstow. So that's fantastic. Yes, it is. Uh, Kristen, how hard was it making the shift to living in this particular culture? I um, Fortunately, I had lived in Ireland for a few years before moving to London. And I think that helped me to have a framework, either the um, kind of for how things are in, um, in the British Isles and, and Ireland and um, or even just categories of how to help myself through different parts of culture shock. Um, so I kind of think of it as like, it's two different pictures, but I have a solid picture frame that the picture can go into. So um, yeah, I it felt less challenging with some of the day-to-day activities because I expected, you know, I'd have to hand wash all of my dishes. I have to leave my clothes out to dry or, you know, I have to bring a big trolley with me to go grocery shopping because I won't have a car. Um, So I think some of the day-to-day activities felt less frustrating, Um, but I I did find it challenging to to adjust to a culture that was felt so close to the Irish culture I knew, but wasn't the same. And so I, I, especially at the beginning, I'd have a lot of conversations with like shopkeepers and I'd immediately just switch to an Irish voice. I start talking with my Irish accent. I start saying the things I know would be helpful to an Irish shopkeeper. And instead I would get like weird looks. And then there's this moment of like, wait, no, that's, that's not what, what happens here. It's just my default. Um, so I think it's, it's been taking a lot of um, kind of patience and faith to, to learn differences, whether it's some of the class dynamics here are much more, um, I, for me, play a bigger factor in some of the work and it's not um, some of the other cultural values like the English love tradition as highly valued. Um, and that wasn't something that I experienced before. So learning how that plays into um, people's motivations or motivations for church to, um, to be or do different things. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of our impressions for the typical American of England come from things like Ted Lasso and Downton Abbey, and I'm guessing that East London is neither of those things. So what, what is the character of East London? How would that be different than maybe what we're picturing? Yes. Yeah, I actually, I love Ted Lasso. I think so far <laughs> that's, for me, has felt the most accurate as far as at least an American adjusting to culture and right, right. Um, learning to take things on. Um, but there is a definite difference I've noticed between East London and West London, which I think more people are familiar with because West London is um, historically more resourced and um, more of the tourist part of the community. So um, in East London and in Walthamstow in particular, it's historically been the home to the working class. Um, and so there is a lot of arts, artists and craftsmen as well. Um, and it's something I love about my area is that there are so many places. Um, there's a carpentry shop up the road for me. There's so many artist studios. Um, and it feels like a place where um, I think because they're um, one of the class dynamics of being working class and 
not being attached previously to a lot of um, a lot of what would be going on in London is that there is for me it feels like a deeper community feel. I mm. felt more welcomed and friendly walking around with people than I do if I'm visiting friends in you know the West End. Um, so there's yeah there's a solid mostly solid sense of camaraderie. There is um, there are different clashes at points. Um, because my community is also um, highly diverse. Um, so we have people from all over the world. Um, and, you know, there are different pockets of London where, you know, there can be, um, you know, one distinguished um, nationality kind of is the most influential. But in Walthamstow, there's not really one group that, you know, has more influence over the other. And so um, I enjoy that, that there's a lot of diversity when it comes to food options, when it comes to people with different backgrounds. Um, but there's also a lot of changes happening, I think, since, since the Olympics were hosted 10 years ago and um, with a lot of you know, changes happening in, um, in the world economy that London's becoming more and more expensive and Walthamstow is one of the few places left where it's affordable to live. So there's a lot of gentrification going on. Um, huge high rises are being built up everywhere um, with not a lot of people in the community who are able to live there. And so we have new people moving in who are then bringing in, um, you know, types of shops and lifestyles that wouldn't be authentic to our community. And that's, you know, raised a bit of tension. Um, so there's... Um, yeah, a lot of diversity, a lot of stuff under kind of brewing under the surface. Um, but I think the the one word I would use to describe my community is eclectic. And it's one of the things I really love about it. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's great. I mean, I think if you look at the people Jesus surrounded himself with, eclectic is a good way to describe mm, some people. Yes. So we have a dinner at Jesus' house, so you probably have similar dinners, I would, I would guess. What, one of the things that you mentioned was that part of the work you had done was, for example, bringing food to people with COVID, which sort of opens that. I mean, you got there right before the pandemic or what, what year did you arrive there to, to start the work? I arrived in 2020. So it was right in the middle of the pandemic. So I oh, arrived, wow. did like a two week isolation. And then I got out of my self-isolation, had a week to like run and try and get you know dishes cookware for my flat and then a few days later the country went into its second national lockdown um so i yeah had a very different journey of adjusting for sure yeah so one of the one of the things is we've we've talked with people is we've seen that god has both used that in ways they're like man this is something i i would never have wished a pandemic on the world but here's something that now has come that has actually made things either easier, open some doors, and then some other ways in which it's been just incredibly challenging to, for example, get together with people and things like that. What, what have been sort of the sides of the coin for you? Yeah, so I, I felt incredibly blessed with some of the circumstances around COVID and lockdown at first. Um, so when I first arrived, I was the first um, the first extra teammate. So for about six years, my team had only been um, one couple. And so I was the first new teammate. Um, but the way that 
the British government enforced the lockdowns um, was that for people who lived by themselves, they were allowed a support bubble um, where you were allowed one other household that you could mix with. And so even when we were in national lockdown, I could go over to my teammate's house and we spent a lot of time um, watching movies, um, talking about our shared vision. And I feel like, yeah, the huge benefit for me was that once we went into a lot of the heavy ministry work that I had a really solid foundation of friendship um, with the people I worked with. Um, yeah, I think some of the the difficulties um, I would assume might be common with other, you know, other ministry workers, but just seeing changes in church and people struggling to want to attend church when it's happening via Zoom, because that's the way all of life is happening and it's exhausting. And then even as we've transitioned back to in-person, um, yeah, we've had people not um, feel ready to return to church. Um, so there's, yeah, a bit of just, yeah, kind of discouragement in that. Kristen, you have such um, a love for people. And, and it's, of course, it's because of Jesus and um, your heart being so open. Uh, what are some of the greatest joys uh, even through the difficulties that you've been through, what are some of your greatest joys? Oh, thanks. Yeah, I love that question. Um, so when I was first moving to London, I think it was when I was boarding my my transatlantic flight, I felt God prompting me um, to pray. And he specifically prompted me to pray for, for him to show me um, what he loved about Walthamstow. And so um, one of the other things my team does weekly is go on prayer walks where we just walk around our community and pray, either pray for things, um, give thanks for things, kind of just using all of our senses um, to engage with God's world. And so for the first year, I would constantly pray that on the prayer walks of God, show me what you love about Walthamstow. And so when I made it to my one year anniversary of living in London, just to you know, reflect on things I thought like all I like to make a list of some of the things I've learned or some of the things I think God has shown me that he loves about Walthamstow. And then as I was writing them, I realized I couldn't distinguish between the things I saw God, what God loved about Walthamstow and what I loved about Walthamstow. And for me, that was a huge gift of um, feeling feeling Christ beside me and understanding even deeper what incarnation means. Um, and for me, that's one of the big joys of, of ministry and even cross-culturally is being like I have front row seats to an incredible show of God's work, um, whether it's God's work and loving people and drawing them to himself or God's work and um, bringing down systems of injustice. Um, but I love to be, a, yeah, I love to be a part of his work. Um, Thank you. And so, you know, I think when we, you've been somebody who almost your whole life has been thinking about, you know, missional work and church planting and things like that. And even somebody who's very interested in it, you were describing ways in which you're like, oh, maybe I have this not exactly right, or your experience has taught you something different. So for those who are listening to this, they're obviously interested 
in, in, in missions and in ministry and things like that. But what do you think some of the misconceptions that you've encountered people, either supporters or just people you talk to who find out what you're doing? What, what do we get? I'll use the word wrong about what it's like to serve or, or just the nature of service and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I think I haven't felt it as much in the past few years. And I think it's both churches and veteran missionaries doing, um, really good work of being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, I do often feel like one of the misconceptions is that, you know, I'm, I must've been like very gifted in evangelism or even what evangelism is. Um, but like, I'm, I'm an introvert. I'm not, I'm not unfriendly, but I'm not gonna, it's difficult for me to just be a, incredibly open and friendly with people the first time I meet them. And um, yeah, I think there can sometimes mis misconceptions about, you know, ministry workers being, having like superpowers and, and doing this. And um, yeah, I'm like an ordinary person. I, I struggle with ordinary things. I, and often feel um, unqualified. I struggle with imposter syndrome. Um, and I think even the ways that um, evangelism happens, um, I think I've learned even more from living here that one of the greatest gifts and skills in evangelism is asking good questions. Mm. Um, and especially in seeing um, a lot of the ways that what people often think about the church or Christians comes out of news outlets that tend to be magnetized towards the most extreme groups. And I often get discouraged of like, but that's not us. That's not me. And, and at the end of the day, like it's not my job to convince people of what the church is or what God is. I can't change hearts or minds. Only the Holy spirit can do that. And so the work is, is being willing to, to live it out on, you know, a personal level in the ways that I interact with shopkeepers or being willing to give people the space to ask hard questions or things that seem sacrilegious and, and giving them the space to, to process it and to voice it. Um, so I think at the end of the day, it's not about winning arguments, but about winning hearts. And so what, what brings what brings that in is less about the words that I use and more about the ways that I treat others. Um, yeah, I love there's there's we could talk all day. What you said and have said and, you know, yes. just as, as we get uh, near the I just want to kind of echo a few things you said just to kind of summarize. I mean, I, I've heard you know, a lot about relationships, you know, sort of from the beginning of, of our time here talking together today, you talked about, you know, the, the development of relationships, both relationships within your team, with the people of your community, you know, everybody from the people who are coming to the garden to shopkeepers and people you just encounter uh, in your daily life in the way that we all encounter people in our daily lives, whether we're in Walthamstow or in Rockville or Frederick or wherever we happen to to be listening to this, you know, the, the importance of asking good questions. And, and I would say, you didn't say it, but I, I would by extension think just being a good listener, you know, yeah. hearing, you know, what they had to say and not just 
having your set response, you know, okay, once they finish talking, I'm going to say this, but really kind of seeing where they're coming from and, and, you know, trying to, to win people with, with love and not win people with facts. I think, you know, not that I'm against facts. I love facts. Facts are, facts are good. <laughs> we, we need them, you know, uh, but, uh, but it's not, you know, it's not how, how people are going to really come to understand God's love. It's through the love that you're showing. And, and we're very thankful that you're there showing God's love to people uh, in what uh, challenging times, you know, uh, and, and for many, it's challenging to kind of be away from what they've known. Although you had a little, a little bit more familiarity, I think, than maybe the average person uh, coming in there, which is, which is great. Um, but just your willingness to serve in the way you're serving. So um it also has me thinking about how, how can we be a blessing to you? So both we as Shady Grove, one of your superior churches, people who are listening, you know, all the people within the sound of my voice, so to speak, like how, how can we be a blessing? How can we be praying for you as you go forward? Well, thanks. Yeah. Really appreciate that. Um, yeah. I find it really encouraging, um, you know, to, to know that people are praying and, people reaching out. I mean, it, it feels, it feels kind of hypocritical to ask for this because I have been very rubbish recently with responding to emails. Um, but people just reaching out, whether it's sending notes or sending emails that just let me know that they're thinking of them. Um, I find that very encouraging. Um, and yeah, absolutely love prayers. Um, we were talking as a team yesterday about, um, yeah, it's, it's better to spend time telling God about my friends than it is trying to tell my friends about God. Um, and I, it's something that I hear and I'm like, oh yeah, well, duh, but yeah, it takes longer to actually live that out and to take the space to pray or to ask my, yeah, us, the churches and people in America who know me to, to pray. Um, so I think that's one of the big ways, um, we would definitely love prayers is for, um, for our friends to, to know that God loves them and that God accepts them. And, um, also for, yeah, for systems of injustice to, to be changed. Um, I think being in some ways on the front lines of a food rescue and seeing, um, yeah, and seeing and hearing stories of ways that people are really struggling and being exploited, um, is really challenging. Um, it takes a lot of repentance not to kind of work out my own God complex of trying to like call certain people and pull the strings and make it happen. But also God's love is synonymous with justice. And so, um, yeah, I guess along with that is just prayers to follow the Holy spirit of, um, being willing to take action when I feel really like unprepared for it. Um, but also being willing to sit back in ways where I try and, be the savior and rescue people. And I think that's, I think that's wonderful. So I will be thinking about ways we can pray for you. We'll also hopefully be thinking about friends that we can be telling God about, which I, I really like the way you said that. Uh, I also think that I want to use the word rubbish more. I'm <laughs> like, bring that to America. I really like that. As a yes. I've been rubbish at this. So, uh, well, thank you so much, uh, Juanita, for co-hosting with me. And thank you to our guest, Kristen Lolly. 
Uh, thank you, dear listener, for taking time out of your valuable day to listen. We hope that it was as much of a blessing for you as it was for us. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast and feel free to like us, review us, give us feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, and until next time, God bless.